What's up, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can help this show to grow while also getting access to our exclusive Pride content, which includes shows like Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, Special Interviews, Lions of Liberty Roundtables, and much, much more. So check that out. Help us grow at lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. Libertarianism is a slow burn. Little by little, more people become libertarians. But once they become libertarians, they tend to stay libertarians. And that's something quite special. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Yes, that is uh, that is me letting out my frustration via a liberty roar, which I think is a, a much more healthy way to deal with frustrating times than all the many other destructive ways we could possibly deal with frustration, whether it's uh, punching a wall, breaking furniture, uh, drinking a bottle of whiskey, that sort of thing. I'm not going to do any of those things today. I'm just going to give you a quick roar and a quick update. Uh, for those of you that are able to hear this, that's how frustrating this is. I'm not even sure how many of you are actually hearing this episode here on Monday, uh, but... The uh, we are having issues with our host with Podbean. Uh, our feed has been dysfunctional since last Friday when Adam Kokesh's episode dropped. So that has been a very frustrating experience. Um, some of you are listening on YouTube, and you will all be able to continue to find episodes on YouTube. And this feed will get restored one way or another, even if it means we have to go to an alternative host. We are hoping to sort this out very soon. But I did just want to let you know, you know, if you we are. Definitely equally, if not much, much more frustrated than those of you who have been trying to listen to these episodes. But again, please head over to youtube.com at slash Lions of Liberty. That's our official YouTube channel. Everything will find its way there. So if you're not able to access the RSS feed for whatever reason, you can always head over to YouTube. I know it's not as convenient to listen on YouTube, but they will be there and we will get things going back to normal very, very soon. In the meantime, this is the 345th episode of this program. This program that will continue through all the frustrating times. That also means you can find today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 345. Luckily, I recorded today's episode with my good friend, Anthony Samaroff, well before I had hit these frustrating times with our podcast. So I'll have a much more calm and even tone once we get into the interview. Speaking of which, let's do that. All right, my guest today is the co-host of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. He also hosts the Be Yourself and Love It Podcast. My friend Anthony Samaroff is here with me. Anthony, are you ready to roar? I feel positively brimming with roars. I'm so excited to speak to you today, Mark. Thank you so much for having me on the lines of liberty. Roar! Awesome, um, man. <laughs> brimming with roars. I like that phrase. I'm going to have to start using that one. Well, yeah, just great to be on your show, and I've been following your rise and rise. Uh, you're doing really great work, so it's very exciting for me. Awesome, brother. I appreciate it. And, you know, we, we've been talking over the past few months, so I was glad we were finally able to, uh, you know, work something out here to do a podcast together. And you're actually, uh, I believe you mentioned before the show, you're actually visiting uh, the U.S. right now. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm in Manhattan at the moment, and I'm so touched that a bunch of libertarians have come through from upstate or nearby or some further away to actually meet with me. So it's so exciting being part of this community, and you just never know when you start speaking into a mic and putting it on the internet that people it's going to introduce you to and where it's going to take you. I feel more excited about 
being part of libertarianism than ever. Absolutely. I mean, you can you can see download numbers and you can, you know, see the the metrics of a show grow, but it's when you actually meet the people that are affected by what you're doing. That's when it's just a, a whole new ball game. That's there's no bigger motivator than that. You know, we had this we we're talking before the show. We had this event a couple of weeks ago out here in LA with J- Jason Stapleton and uh, Dave Smith and just met so many fans who actually loved the work we were doing and the, the the work of Lions of Liberty were doing and wanted to take pictures with us. And that's when it really just hit me like, wow, you you are actually doing something here. You are actually excited people and you know it must be a very similar experience to you to fly all the way over here to United States and to meet people affected by your work. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. You just never people are actually inviting you into their life to spend some time with them because they think what you've got to say is valuable and either you've got something to teach them or they like your sense of humor or a combination of the above. But it's really sweet, especially as you know, libertarians as free marketeers. We know about trade-offs. People's time is limited. People's resources are limited. And when they're listening to you, they could be listening to anyone else. So it's really very touching to know that out of their possible so many choices of media that people like really appreciate what you're doing and find value in it. Absolutely. So why don't we uh, tick back the clock a little bit here and find out how you first became interested in the ideas of liberty. What inspired you down this path, Anthony? How did you first learn about these ideas? How did you first get involved in politics? Tell me the whole tale. Well, let's see. I grew up in Scotland where it's presumed that if you're a dissident of the current system, naturally you'll fall onto the left of the political spectrum. And I certainly had uh, views on war, civil liberties, and that were quite left, well, considered left wing, but are actually very congruent with libertarianism. But on economic issues, I guess I was what you'd call a progressive in the, United, in the United States, but we didn't call it that here. I, I thought I was a lefty, not very left. I still believed in a market economy, but I probably would have, if I'd been informed enough, advocated for something like Denmark, you know, or so regulated capital. I thought the excesses of capitalism had to be regulated by the government. And I basically thought that capitalism was essentially a set system of self-interest and greed and not self-interest and the excellent way that Ayn Rand explicated it or Adam Smith talked about the how we get our stuff because the baker self-interest rather than because the baker likes us and wants to make us some bread but in the pejorative in the in the in the pejorative term so that was natural it was natural as a dissident I thought there was problems in the world so naturally I must be on the left and I don't know I read things like in the ballpark of Michael Moore and a bit further left than that. and But I was quite a free thinker as well. I remember being on the internet and coming across an advert from some gun advocacy group that said, let's talk about gun control and basically put forth the proposition that gun controls may seem to make sense, but they just disarm good people, leaving only criminals with guns. And it also put out a figure that 100,000 crimes are stopped a year by law-abiding citizens carrying guns. I, I think actually the true number is a lot higher than that. So that was compelling to me even then. I was like, oh, my ears pricked up. Oh, well, maybe I'm wrong about that. And I got kind of got into conspiracy theorists and I was wondering why the left never talked about something like the Federal Reserve, which was so blatantly an abuse or that central banking here, here, of course, we've got the Bank of England, which fulfills the same function as the Federal Reserve does 
in the United States. So I was quite eclectic, even though I would have put myself on the left of the political spectrum. Then I started putting out videos on YouTube. This must have been circa 2007 from a progressive type point of view. And then Ron Paul busted onto the scene and all these libertarians started gatecrashing my YouTube channel, <laughs> arguing with me and sending me, watch this video, watch that video. With a Plus, hashtag Ron Paul 2020 or whatever, or one, yeah, Ron Paul 2012 it was at the a, bottom. It was, tw- it was 28. It was, this was 2007. I've been a libertarian for almost 10 years. So Ron Paul was the first right winger I'd ever seen who was against the wars abroad. Of course, under the Bush era, it was much easier to be on the left because you saw all these evil neocons doing all this stuff that uh, was so blatantly evil. They were the and perfect it, villains, really, at the time. Right. But I actually believed that that anti-war movement and anti-Patriot Act stuff was part of a popular movement that was uh, somehow awakening. When actually it turned out as soon as Obama came to power and continued the Bush doctrine, they all disappeared. All these dissidents disappeared. They were vibrated back into the norm and suddenly they they were all about government worship. But up to that point, it seemed like being on the, you know, the left was, the left were more palatable. They were more the good guys. um, So it seemed that way growing up. Ron Paul exploded the idea that in my head, if you were for capitalism, you must therefore be for war and therefore be for the surveillance state like Bush. But Ron Paul wasn't for the war or for the surveillance state, and he made very compelling arguments I'd never heard before in favor of free markets. So meanwhile, I'm getting gatecrashed by these YouTubers, and they're saying, watch this video, watch that video, Milton Friedman, this one, that one, all sorts of different economists and uh, YouTubers making arguments from anarcho-capitalism. And over the course of two years, I just went further and further down the rabbit hole and until I ran out of excuses and had to become an anarchist. And uh, around that time, I was in college, I was studying political philosophy, and I got to write an essay which uh, on whether the state of nature would be chaos, as John Locke and Thomas Hobbes believed or not. And that was an awesome opportunity for me, awesome timing for me to really organize my thoughts and why I no longer believed in the state as a benign entity. And it somehow went along the lines of all of the problems that people presume that we have between individuals only scale up to the when you add the state. There are now problems that states encounter with one another or the incentives inherent in having a state allow the conflicts of interest between men to be writ large and those who are the most inclined to raise to the top of those institutions by whatever means necessary now don't only have their personal means to be antisocial but they have all the resources and machinations of the state including the right to tax at their disposal for for the dominance of others so that's uh, i guess the long and short story of how I went from being a lefty to being a libertarian. Well, Anthony, if I'm hearing this right, you're telling me that trolls on YouTube actually did change your opinion <laughs> well, <laughs> over time. Yeah, over time, they, they, they sent me down the rabbit hole. They debated with me, and yeah, they could be quite abrasive, but they did actually make arguments, and I've always been someone who deals with arguments 
The thing is, it's very bewildering because now I've come to see that it's only a certain percentage of people whose ultimate value is the truth. They care more about the truth more than they care about their prejudices. And being someone who was always kind of open-minded, as I said, even as a youngster, whenever I was presented with new information that challenged my opinion, I might not like it at first, but I was always compelled by it. I always felt like it was an itch that needed scratching, and I would have to follow the rabbit hole further down to find out more about it and see if I was wrong, see if I could improve my opinion. And it's quite weird when I was confronted with a world that where most people aren't necessarily like that. That doesn't mean that you can't, can't talk people around but it's often more difficult and one of the things that i gather from the feedback that i get from scottish liberty podcast is something that people really like about me as an advocate and as a speaker on these issues is my very methodical logical approach you know i love to give lots of arguments and evidences for positions that's just the way that my my mind's wired up and when i saw other libertarian articles and things like that, sometimes very good, but sometimes I would see people addressing an issue with only one or two arguments. And I would think, well, if I was still lefty, I'd just say this and this and this, which which kind of motivated me to try and like one up. And if I was going to write on an issue, try and address it from many angles and try and anticipate what the younger version of me would have thought if I was still on the left, what would my, be my rebuttals and deal with those objections, handle those objections in advance, you know, because people have got bouncers. And I think this is why libertarians that come from the right tend to be better at engaging with conservatives and talking them around, whereas those like me who come more from the left are better at talking around lefties because it's, it's a value difference and you have to have that value difference inside you. You need to know it inside out to be able to speak to it and that's why so many voices are needed. My co-host, Tom Laird, he's a lot more abrasive than me. He's from the right, formerly. So that's something that people like about our show as well, the banter between us and the fact that we've, we've got quite different personalities. I'm quite like softly spoken and, and he's quite aggressive, but sometimes we swap roles as well, which is ironic. <laughs> Yeah, it's got to be uh, really helpful to come from that progressive perspective when addressing a lot of these arguments. You know, I grew up in a Republican household, so right. you know, and I find I'm able to really relate to a lot of the conservative arguments, even those I disagree with. I, I sort of have an understanding of where they're coming from and why they advocate for certain things when it comes to smaller government, personal responsibility, and I'm able to at least, at least, hopefully, start to show them why the libertarian perspective gets them what they already, you know, believe in. In, in many ways, I think that's the best way to reach a lot of people. It's so hard to to change people's core values and what they think they mm. want to see out of the world, but it's much easier to show them how, you know, what the way we believe and the, the, mm. the things we believe in can actually lead them to whatever it is they already yes. feel they want, whatever end result that might be. Right, right. You're so true when you say that. It's the it's hard to change people's values, but if you can demonstrate them how libertarianism is the achievement of their values, then that's very helpful. So for me say with progressive-minded people, lefties, I like to talk about the ways that the government inflates the price of things that makes the standard of living more expensive for the poor, whether it's housing. There's an article of mine called The Hope of Affordable Housing, which people can Google if they're interested, uh, which I did an account of 
how the government has inflated the price of accommodation. So that that's obviously helping the property owning class if they if they own. That's a kind of leftist thing that might appeal to leftists. Then there's you know free trade. Well, why can't we send money to the poorest countries in the world? and help them develop faster by buying these products. And that would also help the poor people in this country because they'd be able to, their disposable income would go further. They'd be able to buy more stuff with the same amount of money because it's cheaper. Or say, you know, obviously the printing of money inflates the, inflates the currency. There's another way that the government harm, harms the poor. You can talk about how regulations inflate the cost of, goods or even better still if you can give examples of how regulations favor already established businesses and make it difficult for small businesses who can't afford the accountants the lawyers and so forth to compete you want to talk about you want to show the compassionate face of libertarianism to people who are coming over from the left and maybe you'll talk to people around or maybe you'll just influence them slightly in the slightly in the direction but the main thing is to give people something that they're interested in oh that's interesting and so that way before that maybe right. makes them want to know a little bit more and how do you think that differs from the way that you want to speak to people on the right like coming from a republican household yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say because I mean I think the values I was raised hearing about were more just more focusing on sort of the personal responsibility aspect mm. and small government allowing people to have greater freedom and therefore mm. to take greater responsibility upon their lives. So I think that's the sort of thing I would focus on. I mean I grew up in that Republican household, but I've also lived out here in California for 14 mm. years. So now at this point, I think at, at this point in my life, I'm probably more inclined to speak to the progressives about things just because right. conservatives don't exist in my world. I mean right. there's somewhere here in California. I think there's a few in Orange County, but it's mostly progressive-minded people. But at the end of the day, you can use a, a lot of the same conversation tactics in the sense of, you know, who doesn't want freedom? You know, who doesn't think freedom's a good thing? Personal freedom in their own life, you know? And, and, but only, you might focus on different things with the left than you would for the right. So for the right, you might focus on, you know, your right to own a gun. That's, that's a personal freedom you should be allowed to express. Whereas, eh, you might get to that eventually with the lefties, but it's probably not the place to start. You know, you might want to start on the right to love whoever you want you might mm. want to start on on the on freedom to travel on uh, immigration stuff that you know they're already going to agree with your end position on most likely and then uh, that at least warms them up to the fact that okay we're kind of on the same page uh, at least on this aspect we're not enemies once once we start approaching the, the conversation as enemies as opponents we're looking to defeat i mean we're not going to win anybody that way because then you put someone on a sort of a battleground and when, when you're on a battleground there has to be a winner and a loser and no one right. wants to leave feeling like the loser yeah no one wants to back down so it's so important to find some common ground and say well here's some values we have in common you tell me how to how you you believe those values can be achieved and i'll tell you how i believe those values can be achieved one of the most wonderful things that you can do if you enter a debate is before you argue or correct anything the other person says paraphrase what their position, what you've heard them say in your own words, and say, have I got you right? And give them a moment to add anything. Once people feel like they've been heard and understood by you, they become much more receptive. Another thing is, if they express a, an opinion that you disagree with, before kind of shooting it down, ask them something like, how did you arrive at that position? Uh, why do you believe that? Based on what evidence? Not in an aggressive way, but in a curious way. Because see, once you give people the opportunity to explain how they arrived at a position, you'll understand 
they're thinking better. It'll be easier to find the right way to engage with them. But also they feel like you're genuinely curious and engaging with them, not trying to pour your superior knowledge into their head. We all love... Which is very uh, something many libertarians tend to want to do. <laughs> well, we're quick to go. We're quick to go to logic, and it sometimes works with other libertarians. But because we're similarly minded, but even amongst libertarians, people can get defensive about this stuff. If you do, just a little bit. <laughs> we all love to learn new things, but we don't like to be wrong. And so, if you set up a dynamic in a conversation where you're helping add to the other person's existing knowledge, then they're going to find that an enjoyable experience and they can go and ruminate on it afterwards. But if they feel like you're being confrontational, they're less likely to take what you say on board. Absolutely. So, uh, Anthony, why don't we talk a bit about the the state of the liberty movement in Scotland? And uh, obviously there is one to some extent because you're there. And I know there's some other like-minded people that you've run into. Well, there's at least you, (laughs) right? Yeah. um, There's at least one. Yeah, I'm reminded of Walter Block asking Murray Rothbard how many libertarians are there in the world. And Murray Rothbard saying, yeah, about 24. Well, (laughs) And it always does feel when you first learn about these ideas, even though you obviously heard them from some other people, uh, it, it certainly feels like you are the only libertarian for a while when you first start learning about these things and reading and, and going digging down the rabbit hole. And uh, it's it's really just a mind-blowing uh, experience when you finally meet another libertarian, say, in real life. <laughs> well, I have to tell you something. When I became a libertarian in Scotland, I didn't know a single one. Most people had never heard of the term libertarian. So it's wonderful to see that at least uh, those who are in the know a little bit about politics, 10 years later, if you say you're a libertarian, they know what you mean. We do have monthly meetups all over Scotland, so we're on at least 24 libertarians. I think there's um, several hundred registered, maybe clear over, maybe we cleared a couple of thousand registered with the Scottish Libertarian Party. Not a huge number, but it means they exist, and so many, so many libertarians are agorists. So we could assume there's, you know, several times as many who are just silent. So yeah, we get. I find the the meetups very social. I love meeting people with similar ideas, and it's a miracle compared to what it was like ten years ago. How is the liberty? Well, we had the biggest gathering of libertarians maybe since the times of Adam Smith in Scotland, uh, our, our annual general meeting. And yeah, actually looking forward to, to seeing how many turn out this year. But yeah, as ideas have progressed, as the social justice warrior movement has uh, spiraled out of control over the last few years, more and more people are driven to our sorts of ideas. As people were watching the election between Trump and Hillary, yes, some people fled to the alt-right, but there was a whole swath of people watching on in disgust as these two, uh, how, how best to describe them, Perhaps best not to describe them. We're driven to seek, alterna- <laughs> seek alternatives. Gary Johnson, unfortunately, was a bit of a disappointment. I cringed when he said that Hillary Clinton was a wonderful public servant. I think at this period of hi- in history, he maybe could have said, these two candidates are both absolutely terrible. You need me. You need the libertarians to restore some sanity to this country. We've got a whole bunch of policies that most people on both sides agree with. And we've got some policies that some people on both sides agree with. For example, we could get rid of corporate welfare. 
you're not going to hear that from either the Republican or Democratic Party. Only we're going to say that. Uh, that's a bit of a missed opportunity. But I still think that the movement's growing. And yeah, it's, it's amazing seeing these things, like say the alt-right came out of nowhere. I think it's going to go back to nowhere to a large degree, almost as quickly. Libertarianism is a slow burn. Little by little, more people become libertarians. But once they become libertarians, they tend to stay libertarians. And that's something quite special. We've got going for us reason and evidence, and people are getting better and better at articulating these ideas. When you've only, if you're more of a normie, if you hear a certain set of ideas once, it's easy to dismiss them out of hand. You hear them twice, three times, oh, that's just a fringe group. When you start getting friends that believe in those ideas and are passionate and well-studied and can talk to you about it, and then you hear two or three other people talking about it, it suddenly becomes, gets to the point where you have to take the ideas more seriously and people need to start dealing with our arguments instead of just going, <laughs> libertarians are so stupid. And that has already begun to happen. So I guess we're just waiting for a tipping point. My name is Dale Kearns, and I'm running for United States Senate in Pennsylvania as a libertarian. I'm a concerned citizen who has had enough. I work as a project manager for an electrical contractor in southeastern Pennsylvania. There I manage large commercial and industrial projects. I'm a husband and a father of two energetic little girls. I'm running to advocate for a society where my girls have more liberty, not less. Will you support our campaign? Unlike my competitors, I'm not a career politician. I don't have millionaire and billionaire donors. I'm running for Senate in Pennsylvania because I want to take the message to Washington that we want government out of our lives. Will you let me be your voice? Let me be the voice that says we will not walk quietly down the road to serfdom. The voice that says we need free market solutions. The voice that says we need to end the failed war on drugs. The voice who will fight for the forgotten man, non-violent offenders wasting away in prison, and addicts who are afraid to speak up and seek the help they need. We are seeking members for our campaign team. I encourage you to apply. We need donations to help us spread the message of liberty across the state. We can go on hoping for liberty to happen, or we can fight together. I hope you choose the latter and join me today. Find out more at DaleKearns.com. Paid for by Dale Kearns for Office. What is uh, sort of your approach to speaking to your your uh, fellow Scots? Is that what you call yourselves? I believe that's yeah, correct. Yeah, Scots. Uh, about the ideas of liberty. I mean, how, how do you even is, – is there sort of a similar uh, mindset where there's sort of a left and a right in Scotland? Is it kind of the same where it's hard – you sort of have to break through that initial mindset of left and right to even get involved in the conversation? And then what sort of issues do you find are, you're able to resonate you know, the most with your fellow countrymen? Well, definitely to a degree, people are still locked in the left-right spectrum, but you'll be hard pushed to find many right-wingers in Scotland. We have a very, very left-leaning political climate here. I don't know if that's because being more conservative is associated with being English. But yeah, I mean, as I say, the default position is if you're not happy with what's going on in the world, you're a leftist. So I guess it's quite easy to, but, but you know, they're strongly anti-war here, broadly speaking, strongly a- against uh, nuclear proliferation. They're skeptical of the surveillance state. And um, we've, we've got the beginnings of social justice warrior culture here and Antifa, and we've had incidents like that, but they are quite on the margins. Uh, the best way to engage with people same as anywhere else, you know, listen to them with curiosity. I used to argue a lot more on the margins, like find the margins 
of what they believed and present myself as more left wing than I am and kind of try and drag their position step by step towards where I was sitting. But as I've grown up, I feel kind of like the less need to doctor myself and kind of be more upfront with my positions and but still kind of talk people around to how their values can be achieved by our positions, gently show out any contradictions in their thinking and be kind, be polite and show that you give a shit. Like, I don't know if you do swears on your shows, but otherwise you'll have to. Oh yeah, go for it. Okay. Well, shit. Sometimes you just have to. (laughs) To get the point across. <laughs> you don't need to you don't need to hear the whole list of expletives. I do speak two languages, good and bad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like if you if people people want don't know care what you know until they know that you care. So if you present yourself as the stereotype of like hating the poor and being like yeah, well, why is it my problem that there's a bunch of starving kids in Africa? I didn't make them starving. You're not getting anywhere with that. Yeah, that might well be true, but there's a more uh, tactful there's a, there more there's a more tactful way to talk people around. Uh, so you know, you, you mentioned there's kind of is an anti-war sentiment in Scotland. Is that an issue you're able to relate people with as a, sort of a, a gateway into discussing the the broader ideas of liberty? I mean, we just had the bombings in Syria, which were supported and, and helped to be mm. operated by the United Kingdom government, which of course Scotland is is under the auspice of. Right. So is is that one issue you're able to really relate to people on? Because no one's more libertarian, or no one's more libertarian, no one's more anti-war than a libertarian. Right. Well, the the, the difficulty we face is. There's like far left in Scotland, like being an actual socialist is not weird here the way that it might be slightly weird in places in America. And they're so ideological that they really have this link between capitalism and war and imperialism. They don't get the libertarian argument that of non-coercion. So in a way, they've got that left-right thing. So yeah, in a way, you can kind of leverage it by saying things like, well, you know, of course the foreign interventions are wrong. You know, we don't believe in coercion. So, But if you just apply that to the individual level, right, you say you don't want to go over there and, you know, grab their resources, grab their oil. Well, what about between between individuals. I don't know how far you'll get, to be honest. You're asking me quite a lot of questions about engaging with regular people in Scotland, but my actual exposure to these kinds of pub debates has really diminished over the last five, six years. You know, I'm out of college and things like that. And you get it all out doing the podcast and, you know, interacting online. Yeah, yeah. And I do do some, do always try and do some research. Sometimes people get crash and have debates with us but I, I can't it's very hard for me to know what the temperature outside is in terms of general people's opinions because I'm so busy doing life stuff right well one more topic I want to talk to you about here this uh this can't count Dankula just as we're All recording right. this he was just sentenced today of course uh, we've talked <laughs> about this on our show before I think a lot of listeners are familiar with the case uh, why don't you sum it up really quick uh, this guy that you know trained his pug to do Nazi salutes which <laughs> is you know it, it's stupid and terrible but even me saying it out loud I, I have to laugh because it's so I about it it's ridiculous and silly too but you know one issue I really have with the way the things are going in the United Kingdom I actually spent about six months living there back in college way 
back in the day. But th- this thing where there really are seems to be a real crackdown on speech. Now, of course, every time they do a crackdown on speech, it's under the auspice of quote unquote hate speech. Problem is, how do how do we define this, and and how is hate speech defined? And the uh, the answer is very 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 subjectively. So um, why don't you just tell us what's going on with this Count Dankula? Why is it more hateful than saying that someone should be put away in jail for saying something? I mean, I mean, right. Yeah, uh, teaching a pug to do a Nazi salute doesn't actually harm someone, but putting them in jail does. You know, that's taking away their liberty. I think it's quite a hateful thing to advocate putting someone in jail that hasn't actually initiated aggression against anyone else. So the short story is uh, Marcus Meekin, uh, also known as Count Dankula, put up a YouTube video for the entertainment of his friends saying that his girlfriend was obsessed with her little pug, which was just oh so cute. So he was going to turn it into the least cute thing ever. A Nazi. And he (laughs) trained the dog to raise its paws, though making a Nazi salute to the buzzwords, uh, trigger warning, gas the Jews, and uh, trigger warning, Zeke Heil. He went on holiday Meanwhile, this video was going bankrupt. Uh, sorry, viral. And when he get came home next day, nonetheless aware is that the police turned up at his door and he was arrested under hate speech laws. Now, crazy. For two years, they dragged him through the courts. At Lord only knows what public expense because you know they don't have anything better to do with our tax money than take him through the courts for two years they don't have any rapists to catch or murderers you know they don't need to enforce property rights or anything like that and no 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 teaching a pug to do a nazi salute is good enough now it's no secret for listeners to my show that i'm from a jewish background although i'm a a heathen an unbeliever and I don't, well, I find it more offensive that they're wasting my tax money than the, the fact that he did this. this it's a, it's off color, it's off taste. Uh, it wasn't even that funny, to be honest. I saw the original video and it wasn't that funny. I think he was trying too hard, you know, trying too hard to be offensive, trying too hard for shock value. It wasn't that humorous, but it's a joke. If YouTube doesn't like it, they can always take the video down. They're well within their rights to do that. It's their platform. If people don't like it, they can write to their papers saying what what a scumbag he is. They can ignore him. They can choose not to sell him stuff. They can can write to the papers. Do you know what I mean? But to actually um, threaten to put someone away in jail, and I think... The courts really knew how ridiculous this is, but they didn't want to lose face by backing down. So they extended the trial over two years, and they said that even though he clearly prefaced the video by saying, I'm going to turn the dog into the least cute thing ever, a Nazi, and it was clearly uh, rabble-rousing, that his intentions, what he said his intentions were, were irrelevant. It was to the court to decide what his intentions were. So apparently they've got the X-ray vision to see into his heart and his head and decide what his motives were. Now, he was sentenced just today, 23rd of April 2018, Monday. And here's here's how the, the hilarious thing, ridiculous, however you want to put it, They sentenced him to a fine of £800, circa $1,200, right, with no jail time. 
clearly the state takes anti-Semitism so seriously <laughs> that someone who puts a Nazi video up on YouTube, it's so offensive, it's such an extraordinary crime that, it's, that they're going to fine him for the princely sum of £800. Obviously, they really care about the Jewish people. Now, it's, this is just blat makes it so blatantly obvious that they know it's ridiculous, that if right. they put him away in prison, it would spark mass protests and, uh, and things like that, and people would not uh, be very tolerant of it. The, the media backlash might be huge or something do, like do that. Do you really think there would be a big backlash if he was actually jailed for this? Is, is that, if he know, was the, jailed, I don't, well... I mean, I know there would be online. I'm just wondering I how much there would be there. I, I can't. I can't say why else. I can't say why else they didn't jail him, because they obviously were just dragging him through the court because they didn't want to lose face by acquitting him and saying no, this is stupid. How humiliating would it be for the police if they'd acquitted him? So yeah, maybe they're just sending him off with a slap on the wrist, hoping that uh, no one pays attention. But it's ridiculous because they, if they actually think he is committing a serious crime, a hate crime, or or if what he's doing is heinous, he should have his ass locked up in jail for years because the, the Holocaust isn't funny, man, right? So clearly they don't really think it's a serious crime, but serious enough to drag out for two years. It would be interesting to see how much money they spend. I mean, in a free society, surely if you commit a crime and it's – it's legitimate that you committed a crime. You should be liable for the expenses. I mean, this might have cost a million pounds. I don't know how much it's cost to prosecute him for, for two years. But I know that 800 pounds isn't going to cover it. It's not going to cover the lawyer and judge's fees. So maybe you're right. Maybe there wouldn't be a backlash. Maybe people would ignore it. Maybe they just don't want to spend any more money jailing him. But the fact that they find him for, for 800 pounds is, I mean, he'll, he'll get more than that in donations. So, well, I'm sure that a lot of people. Probably sure, I mean, if he keeps this. doing uh, YouTube stuff and comedy stuff, he can probably, you know, he can probably be bigger than ever now. Yeah. Uh, oh no, I mean, he he was Some barely free advertising. No he, he was barely known. He was barely known before this mistake. He's got to speak to Alex Jones. He's he's been on all sorts of alternative media. The guy's a celebrity. The guy is a celebrity. So do you know what? I, I just it just makes me feel like I'm in the wrong game trying to use uh, <laughs> logic, reason, and evidence to set, right. sell the uh, ideas of liberty. I should probably just um, say something controversial. And, you should be uh, teaching corgis to be fascists or something. It's, like that. <laughs> it's really funny because my co-host Tom is not the most politically correct person in the world, and occasionally I say something and he makes an off-color joke at my expense, like saying, "Well, you know what you people are like," or. You know something that uh, something a little bit off color like that. I just thought, how funny would it be if someone actually reported him to the police for hate speech for making fun of me for being a Jew on my own show, and he got <laughs> uh, he got apprehended by the cops. And if that's the thing that would make Scottish Liberty podcast famous <laughs> across Scotland at last, hey, we'll take our fame wherever we can get it. You know, that's right. Now, Anthony, before I let you go, I know you uh, do some other work outside of just your libertarian talk. You also have, as we mentioned at the top, the Be Yourself and Love It podcast, and you have a book coming out. I'm very interested in this ebook, actually, because 
I am a procrastinator. This is a book about right. pr- procrastination. So why don't you talk a little bit about that stuff, and uh, you know, then we'll say goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a short ebook. You can read it in about two hours. It's called Procrastination Annihilation, and you can get it for free from beyourselfandloveit.com forward slash do it. The awesome thing about downloading the book is it's also got links to all of my other media, Scottish Liberty Podcast, Be Yourself and Love It Podcast, my contact details, and what have you. So if you go to beyourselfandloveit.com forward slash do it and download Procrastination Annihilation, you'll also get all the follow-up links. Literally, as you say this, I'm typing it in right now. You know why? Because if I don't, I'm going to put it off. <laughs> right. Okay, perfect. Well, get I'm already that. learning a lesson without get, even getting the book yet. Yeah, get that free ebook sent to your inbox. The feedback's been phenomenal. Like People send me emails saying, oh my God, reading your book's like reading my mind. Well, that's because I spent 30 years a chronic procrastinator. And over the last couple of years, I've been improving my condition and I've gone from strength to strength. I'm a very productive person. I've finished two books, well on the way to completing more of those podcasts at least twice a week. I work, I, I create all sorts of media. I could never dream of writing so effortlessly as I do now. Even three years ago would be a real challenge for me. So I put how I did it, how I went from a chronic procrastinator to feeling like I could achieve my dreams and goals, increasing my productivity little by little in the book and it's a very pragmatic method there's no woo-woo or magic thinking it's not a magic wand it won't turn you from a chronic procrastinator today into an extremely productive person tomorrow but it does have a pragmatic and practical method for becoming slightly less procrastinatory and slightly more productive every day and over the course of three months you will notice a massive difference in your productivity if you put the methods that I put in the book into practice. It helps you design a program and gives you all sorts of techniques, tricks and tips to stick to that program. And you'll definitely, you'll, you'll even see a difference in a couple of weeks. Obviously, three months isn't enough to cure your condition. Even if you're quite productive, it'll help you become even more productive. But it's definitely enough to see the difference and know that you've got the hang of certain methods that are going to help you and you'll continue to improve over time. You, After three months, you won't need me to tell you to continue to put the techniques into practice because you'll already know that they work from first-hand experience. So I've been doing the podcast rounds, promoting that. Next month, I'm going on a big show called The Innovation Show. That's a big opportunity for me i was on tom woods talking about it school sucks and yeah it's been very warmly received i'm still getting every day getting emails saying that that people have downloaded the shows uh, the book so i'm really i'm really glad that my 30 years of suffering has not gone to waste and what i've learned <laughs> on overcoming procrastination is actually helping other people over a thousand people have downloaded the book now all right, Anthony. Well, whether it's uh, solid libertarian arguments or some help with procrastination, Anthony right. Samaroff is your man. Highly encourage everyone to check out his work, the Scottish Libertarian Podcast, the Be Yourself and Love It Podcast, and be sure to get that ebook. I'll also post a link to it in today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 345. Anthony, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm sure we will speak more down the road and keep up all the great work and keep on roaring, buddy. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me on your show. It's really exciting to be on Lions 
of Liberty. It's been on my radar for quite a while, so it's, um, I was really thrilled and I hope to speak to you again. You keep on roaring. Oh, I will, buddy. <laughs> Take care, Anthony. It's been a blast. Bye-bye. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Anthony Samaroff, and uh, I do feel a little more calm than I was at the beginning of the show. Now that I have gone and re-listened, I'm doing real-time editing here, re-listened to uh, my conversation and with him and the uh, the soothe, soothing sounds of liberty spoken with that nice Scottish twang, if you will. It's, uh, uh, it does something to me. It's kind of like uh, going out and doing some yoga. I don't know. Um, but I seem to feel a little calmer now, so now I can just calmly tell you, and thank you, first of all, thank you to all of you who have stuck with with us through the, through the last few days, I know many of you have been sending us screenshots. Why isn't this episode playing? Um, so you've, but you've uh, really been uh, also offering support along the way, and I know uh, all of our fans are really sticking around and will be here for us when things get back on track. And hopefully, as you listen right now, they are on track. In fact, if you're listening to this now, they must be somewhat on track if you're able to find the episode. But uh, it was a really great time getting the perspective of Anthony Samaroff. And I definitely want to recommend to you all strongly to check out the Scottish Liberty Podcast. They do some really great work there, as well as checking out Anthony's book, uh, Procrastination Annihilation. I will link to all this stuff over in the show notes for today's program over at lionsofliberty.com slash 345. I also want to take a quick minute to remind you guys that we are working very hard to build up to our next goal for the Lions of Liberty Pride, which is to go to the Libertarian National Convention. Myself and John Odermatt have been able to carve out the time to get over there to New Orleans. Now we just need the funding. You guys helped us get to the $1,000 a month level to achieve where we currently are, which is attending Porkfest in New Hampshire this year. And we'll be doing some live podcasts from there, including a League of Liberty podcast. Podcast, as well as uh, hopefully a live Electric Liberty Land, and of course, the Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor Whiskey Challenge Edition. That one is going to be, um, it's going to be interesting, folks. <laughs> That's all I know. So you guys have sent us there. We're very excited about that, but we want to do even more. So we just need a little tick up in funding, uh, not only to go to the, the Libertarian National Convention in New Orleans and bring you some coverage from there, but also to uh, deal with this server issue. We might actually have to be changing hosts or upgrading a plan. We're not really sure. A lot of things are in the mix, but uh, either way, it's going to cost some more money. So we can always use your support. Of course, you can also uh, give a one-time donation via PayPal. If you go over to lionsofliberty.com, over on the right-hand side, you will see a link to donate to us that way. You can also uh, donate via cryptocurrency, various cryptocurrencies, all by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash donate. Of course, if you don't want to chip in any funds, you're low on cash, that's all good. Simply sharing this program, of course, hopefully uh, when you're sharing it, people are able to actually access the feed. Uh, but uh, just telling people about the show, sharing the ideas of liberty, and talking about this stuff with people, you know, that's really how we're going to change things. Uh, little by little and slowly, slowly, slowly turn more people into libertarians as, as Anthony and I were kind of discussing a little bit earlier. So we can't do it without your support. The only reason we keep showing up here three times a week, even if our server and our feed isn't working, is for you guys to help spread this conversation and spread the ideas of liberty. Of course, my friend Brian McWilliams will be bringing you your weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty this Wednesday on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odermatt will be wrapping up the week with his look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. Be sure to keep tuning in, folks. You keep doing that, and we'll keep showing up one way or another. That I promise you. Until next time, live long and live free.
Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, Liberty Rockers, this is Johnny Rocket from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Each week, I strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, economists, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check it out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com or find us on iTunes. Each show is action-packed, explicit, and a lot of fun. So join me at Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Launchpad.com every week for the newest episode. Keep liberty alive and rock and roll.